Tonight we're in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. And um, tonight we, we look at some wonderful verses, verses that you are very familiar with. By the way, I watched a little bit of the Queen's service in Edinburgh, Scotland. Now, I'm not really kind of a royal kind of watching kind of guy, you know. I mean, you know, it is what it is. But I, I, it was fascinated by the service that was held in that great cathedral. I mean, that thing was huge, a great cathedral. And for the music and, and, and just for, for the liturgy, and you know, they, they, they use a lot of liturgy. Uh, probably I, I didn't get, you know, what denomination it was. It could have been a Presbyterian church. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it, it was just really fascinating. And actually, for me, it was really touching. The service was wonderful. The speakers, I, I, I suppose they were preachers. I guess they were preachers. They had on collars anyway. Uh, so, uh, but uh, kind of an interesting, different kind of way of doing, doing church. And, uh, you know, I, I know that, that kind of thing is important to the people in England. It's not really a thing that, you know. I worry more about Georgia beating South Carolina than I do about what happens in England, but, you know, that's because I'm a redneck man who's been saved by the grace of God. Amen? So there you go. That's, that's how we roll. Uh, but tonight we're in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. In the first six verses of Ephesians 2, Paul gives the before and the after of the believer. Have you ever seen those before and after photos? You know, maybe somebody went on a diet. You know, and they show the before photo and then they show the after photo and show the great transformation of losing, uh, you know, all of that uh, weight. And I'm sure you've seen those things like that. And so in the first six verses of Ephesians 2, Paul gives us the before and after of the believer, before we were saved and after we were saved. He says, before we were saved, we were spiritually dead, slaves to sin. We were objects of God's wrath. That's a pretty dire spiritual condition. But it was true of us, and it's true of every person who is lost. You know, dear, sweet, wonderful people who are lost. They are spiritually dead, separated from God. They have no life with God. They have no fellowship with God, interaction with God. They may claim to love God. They may claim to worship God. But the reality is a person without Christ is spiritually dead, slaves to sin, Unable really to alter how their behavior and conduct and, and change their heart. They can't do that. Only God can change your heart. Only God can change your heart. Only God can take a sinful heart dedicated to sin, committed to sin, and change that heart to make that heart a uh, heart after God. And the lost persons are objects of God's wrath. Uh, you know, we would much rather would talk about God's love than God's wrath, but both are, are a reality. So before we were saved, that was our spiritual condition. But after we were saved, Paul says in these verses, in the first six verses of Ephesians 2, that we were the recipients of God's mercy and grace. I love those words, don't you? Mercy and grace. A good way to remember what they mean is this. Mercy is God withholding from you what you deserve. Grace is God giving to you what you don't deserve. So we're saved both by mercy and grace. We deserve death and separation from God forever, for all eternity. 
God has mercy on us. And he withholds that that is that we deserve. And then he gives us grace. And that is forgiveness and love and acceptance. And so after we were saved, we were recipients of God's mercy and grace. We were made alive in Christ. We were spiritually dead, separated from God, no life connected with God. But after we're saved, we're alive in Christ. We have a connection now with God. The Holy Spirit of God comes to live within us. And we have a connection with God as God's children. We can pray. We can fellowship with God. We can worship Him. We have a, 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 a real relationship with God. Paul said after we were saved in those verses that we were set free from the bondage of sin. We were set free. Beforehand, we, we really couldn't overcome the power of sin in our life. But after we're saved, by the power of Christ, we're set free from that bondage, the bondage of sin. And Paul says, after we were saved, we enjoy fellowship with God. Just fellowship with God. You know, it's a very special thing. Wherever you might be, you can go, you know, apart from what's happening in the world. And you can fellowship with your heavenly father. Now, that is cool beyond degrees, you know, that we can actually fellowship with the God of the universe. And God knows your name. Did you know that? The God who made everything that there is, he knows your name. He knows everything there is to know about you. In spite of that, he still loves you. Ain't God good. And and he wants to fellowship with you and I. He, he, He longs to fellowship with you and I. And so before we were saved, that was our condition. After we were saved, this is our condition. It's a dramatic change that Christ makes in our life. Now, the verses that are in verse four of Ephesians chapter two, Paul said God was motivated to save us because of his rich mercy and his great love. You know, God loves us. God loves us because God is love. God's love for you doesn't depend on any worth or value in you. God loves you because God is love. That's who God is. And, and so God was motivated to save us uh, because he wanted to have mercy on us and he loved us. Now, tonight, what we're going to look at in verses 7 through 10, we look at God's purpose in saving us. Why would God do that? Why would God go through all the trouble of saving us? Why would God send his son into the world? I mean, why? And why would Jesus willingly come into the world? Obviously, you know, we know he loves us and he was motivated by love. But tonight, Paul says that God's got the purpose of God in saving us. Number one is that God saves us to exhibit the glory of his grace. And secondly, God saves us to make a life of good works possible. So in verses seven through nine of Ephesians two, we are saved to exhibit the glory of God's grace. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Every believer in Christ is a trophy of God's grace. You're a trophy. 
of God's grace. If you're a saved child of God, you are a trophy. You didn't know that, did you? And just hang on to what Paul says in the the next few verses about you. You're a trophy of God's grace. For now and all eternity, we will be living displays and living trophies of the greatness of God's grace. God can point to me and he can say to the angels, I won that trophy back in 1975. You should have seen that rascal back then. He wasn't worth two cents. He's not much now, but boy, before he was saved, he really wasn't worth two cents. He ran from me, from me for a long time, but finally my grace triumphed in his life. And he came to me, and I saved him, and I changed him. And he can point to me and say, you are a trophy of my grace. You are a display of my goodness and grace in saving those who are lost. And the same is true of you. You're a trophy of God's grace. The reason we are displays of God's grace is because as verses eight and nine declare, from start to finish, our salvation is wholly a work of God's grace. We have nothing to do with our salvation. We make no contribution to our salvation. We don't do anything to earn our salvation. We don't do anything to keep our salvation. Our salvation from start to finish, from Alpha to Omega, from A to Z, is all by God's grace. That's why we sing amazing grace. Now, verse 8 is one of the great verses of the Bible. For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Verse 8 is built around three great words of the Bible. Saved, grace, and faith. In the theological sense, the word translated saved. Have you ever thought of that word? Saved. I'm saved. Saved from what? What am I saved from? You know, the the word itself implies that I have been delivered from something. I have been saved from something. And in the original language, the word that is translated here, saved, speaks of being rescued from imminent danger. The word describes the fact that we were in great peril. And we had no hope. And we were helpless to save ourselves. But then Christ came and he rescued us. We have been saved. (coughs) Saved from a lost life, a lost and wasted life, and a lost eternity. Think about the spiritual danger you were in before you got saved. You were one breath, one heartbeat. One second away from being forever separated from God. But then Christ came and he saved you and he delivered you by his grace and by his mercy. Now the phrase you have been saved is in the perfect tense. Now that doesn't mean anything to you, but what it simply means is this. It points to a present reality and a continuing reality. Continuing condition. 
In other words, there was a point in your life when you were saved. And that condition of being saved now continues. It points to a point in your life when you were delivered by Christ. And that deliverance now is the continuing condition of your life. What that means is that it is Christ who saves us and it is Christ who keeps us saved. Always remember this. If you could lose your salvation, you would. Always remember this. If you could lose your salvation, you would. Thank God that our salvation from start to finish, from A to Z, Alpha to Omega, is by God's grace and mercy. The God who saves us is the God who keeps us saved. Now, the phrase by grace, we have been saved by grace, means expresses the means by which we have been saved. We're not saved by weeping. We're not saved by our own efforts. We're not saved by our own works. We're not saved by joining a church. We're not saved by religious works. We are saved by God's grace. We are saved by his kindness. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to save us. God could have said, okay, if that's how you want to live, it's that, if that's how you want to be, I'll just let you do what you want to do. But God didn't do that. We are saved by God's grace. The word grace is used more than 150 times in the New Testament. It basically means favor being shown to one who is utterly undeserving. We are not saved because we deserve it or because we have earned it by our own merit. We are saved by God's grace. Grace, grace, wonderful grace. Salvation is by grace through faith. Faith is the means by which we receive God's saving grace in our life. The word faith means to trust in, to rely upon. A person is saved by God's grace when they trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Faith is the hand by which we receive the grace of God. Faith is the agency by which God's grace becomes operational in our life. And notice what Paul said in that verse. That for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. That phrase, that not of yourselves, doesn't refer to salvation. It refers to faith. Do you know what that means? Lest anyone tries to give themselves credit for having the faith to believe, Paul states in this verse that even our faith is not of ourselves. It is God who makes us and who allows us and who gives us the faith to believe. <laughs> faith, my faith was not of myself. Even my faith was a gift of God. Philippians 1.29, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. And so God, God, here, here's what... When you were saved, here's what God did. He granted you repentance and he granted you faith. He granted you the ability to see that you were a rot gut sinner who needed to be saved. And he granted you the faith to believe. Now that's deep theological waters. And there are a lot of questions how you can reconcile this, that, and the other. 
Let me tell you, when you come to the stuff in the Bible where it's kind of hard to reconcile this, that, or the other in the Bible, here's what I tell you. Just trust in God because you're not God. You and I have no idea how a brown cow can eat green grass and produce white milk. I have no idea how my microwave works. All I know is I can put the popcorn in there and three minutes, 15 seconds later, I got popcorn. If I can't understand those things, how am I supposed to understand a lot of the theological great truths of the Bible? And God doesn't expect us to try to delve into that and have every question answered. You just have faith. Faith. And so, why are we saved? We are saved to exhibit God's, the glory of God's grace. And so we give God credit. You know, that's why, you know, I just, I tell people, it's all of God. Whatever good in my life is, it's all of God. Whatever God has been ever, ever able to do with me in my life, it's all of God. I don't take credit. I, I, it's not me. It's God. It's, it's who he is. And all I want to do is give him honor and glory for the grace he has given me in his life. Don't you? I just want people to see God's grace and his goodness and honor him. Secondly, Paul said, we are saved to live a life of good works. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Paul says that believers are God's workmanship. The original word for workmanship, by the way, is the word poema. Do you hear the word poem in the word poema? The word translated workmanship speaks of something that is a finished product, especially a painting or a sculpture or a piece of literature. We are God's workmanship. It literally can be translated masterpiece. Not only are you a trophy of God's grace, but you are God's masterpiece. Did you know that? Let me remind you of uh, Psalms 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. The universe around us displays the work of God's hand. The vast mountains, the beautiful sky, the majestic seas. All of these things are the handiworks of God. But do you know what is God's greatest handiwork? Do you know what is God's greatest work? It's not Jupiter, and it's not Mars, and it's not the Rocky Mountains, and it's not the great oceans. Did you know, do you know what is God's greatest masterpiece, his greatest handiwork? You are. You are God's greatest handiwork. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. The word created shows how radical and transforming the work of salvation is in our life. God saves us and he changes us and he makes us a new creation. And now we are the greatest displays of the handiwork of God. Yeah, you can go out tonight, maybe see the stars, and stand in the wonder of the heavens. But my friend, if you're a child of God, you're an even greater handiwork than that. You uh, have been created in Christ Jesus 
for good works. And so we're, we're created, we are created, we are saved for the purpose of good works. We're not saved by good works, Paul says, but we are saved for good works. Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed, purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Titus 3.8, those who have been believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. It is God's purpose and plan that those who are saved by his grace live a life of good works. Now our good works doesn't secure our salvation, doesn't make it possible for us to be saved, but we have been saved not to sit, soak, and sour. We have been saved to live a life of good works. Works that bring God honor and God glory. We've been saved to live selfless life, lives, self-giving lives, doing good works, positive works of kindness that honor God and glorify Him. So what kind of good works should we be doing as Christians? Well, we should minister to the poor and the starving. We should help the homeless and befriend the friendless. We should care for the sick and the suffering. We should share God's good news with those who are lost. When you're saved, when you're truly saved, you're saved with a a God-given desire to love Him and to live for Him, to live a life of good works that brings Him honor and brings Him glory. And so that's what Paul talks about tonight in these verses. These are wonderful verses. I would encourage you to go back and read them and study them for yourself. And and look at the words. You know, the, the, the words that you find in the Bible are so very important. And, uh, and just, you know, when you read the Bible, don't kind of just fly through those, those words as if you've been so familiar with them all of your life. Take time and look what is said and how it's said. Let me tell you a good way to study the Bible is to get like three different translations of the Bible. I would tell you to get a New American Standard Bible. That Bible is probably the closest English version Bible to the original manuscripts. New American Standard. Actually, the old 1901 American Standard. But it's a little convoluted to read. You know, it's, it's a little difficult to read. So I would encourage you to get that. Then I would encourage you to get a Bible maybe like the NIV, which puts you know, uh, the Bible in a little you know, more modern kind of sequence and a modern kind of way of translation and that kind of thing. Now, the NIV is not an infidel Bible like people claim and all that kind of stuff. <coughs> Excuse me. It's just, it's just a different kind of version of the Bible. And, and then I would encourage you to get maybe either the King James or the New King James version of the Bible. One of the best ways to study the Bible is just to put the Bible side by side and read in different translations. It gives you different nuances. And get a good study Bible. Invest in a good study Bible. John MacArthur's study Bible. Uh, you know, there, there, there are several different kind of good study Bibles. A study Bible is that Bible that has all those notes down at the bottom, bottom of the page that helps you to understand verses up here. And, and a good, good, you know, a good study Bible is a, is a good thing to get, a very important thing to get. The Holman Study Bible, it's a New King James Version Bible. It's very good. CSV, very good study Bible. Uh, you know, 
and, and read the Word of God and study the Word of God. You can do that. You, you can take 10 minutes a day and do that, 15 minutes a day and do that. And incorporate that into your prayer life. But, um, you know, these verses from Ephesians, just wonderful verses. Wonderful verses. So you are trophies. I see trophies. I see masterpieces. How about that? You never thought of yourself in that way, did you? But that's what you are, according to the Word of God. Trophies and masterpieces of God's grace and God's goodness. So let's pray.